following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Good morning. <laughs> All right, a reading for the, from the Gospel. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. When Mary came uh, where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So I have a, a non-rhetorical question to start out with today, which is um, the type of question that my friend Don Shiver often asks when he begins a, a teaching, um, which is to kind of get a sense, a gauge in the room of where people are at with how certain things have been taught in the church. So my question for you is, what have you heard preached about or taught about emotions in your church experience, if you've had them? Maybe you haven't had church experiences. Um, but um, in just a few words, if you can, just shout it out, and I'll try to repeat it back. Don't trust them. Don't trust them. Okay. Don't let them rule you. Okay, there are negative or wrong ones, and there are good ones. Interesting. What was somebody else going to say? They're irrelevant. Ooh. Worry is a sign of a lack of faith. Wow. There's facts, feelings, and faith. Feelings are the caboose at the end. What? <laughs> okay, for those who didn't hear that, that was a very specific, you're right, a very specific uh, teaching. Um, there are facts... Feelings and faith. Yeah, I probably should have done the other order. It's, it's facts, faith, and feelings. Facts, faith, and feelings. And feelings are the caboose. Yeah, like if there's a train, those three. At the end of the train. It should not be driving things. It should be driving along. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to remember the caboose for sure. Sure. Yes, yes. Classic little bit of CBT there. Uh, the feelings, your feelings are the elephant, and the, you, you know, your mind or your, your thoughts are the rider of the elephant. Yeah. Oh, you've been taught that you can choose them or change them. Wow. Okay. This, this would be a sermon all, of in, all in and of itself if we went this whole time just kind of being together with the, you know, unpacking the things that we've been taught in church about emotions. Um, interestingly, Sue, right out of the gate, came up with the one that, that I first thought of as well, which is, what did you say? Can't you can't trust them. That's right. <laughs> it's, been, it's been 30 seconds. You're right. I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> How many of you heard the verse preached or taught on, the heart is deceitful above all else? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, by the way, in the, ch in the chat on Zoom, somebody said, um, control them. That's what they were taught in, in church. Yeah. The heart is deceitful above all else. 
I wonder what that, what did you take that to mean, I wonder? Um, this is probably a lot of the things that you just said were in some ways extensions of that basic idea that comes from scripture, the heart is deceitful above all else. Um, does anybody remember where that came from, where that comes from in the Bible? What book it's from? So, if you don't remember what book it's from, I'm, I'm guessing you don't know what comes before or after that verse. <laughs> Let's take just a minute and do this work, okay? Because it's important to do this work to unwind verses like that. And I do think that verse, the, uh, the common application of it, needs to be unwound. This is actually Jeremiah 17, 9. Now, we're, we're not going to put the uh, words of this text on the screen. I'm going to encourage you to take out one of the Bibles um, that are in the seat pockets, or if you have your own Bible, you can also Google Jeremiah 17 and go to verse 9 uh, and the results that come up. Uh, page 628, by the way, in those red Bibles, if you have one. In part, the reason I don't want to put it on the screen is because I want you to see something visual on the page, all right? Because the first thing that I notice when I look up Jeremiah 17.9 is that it's right in the middle of a long indented section. What does it mean when it's indented? Uh, it could mean that's a quotation. Absolutely. Quote, by the way, is just a verb. It's not a noun. Um, sorry? A poem or a song. Often that's what it is as well. Right? I would also... Um, tell you that sometimes uh, indentation just means like this part is special, <laughs> right? But those are, the, those are the, the basic things. It's a quotation from somewhere, it's, it's poetry or a song, or it's like a special thing, right? And sometimes it's more than one of those. In this case, you can see that, it's, that, that verses 9 and 10 are kind of grouped together. Do you see that on your page? Right? Um, what does that mean, by the way? Oh, there's no Bibles back here. There's one over here. What does it mean when they're grouped together? Uh, does it mean that God grouped them together? Does it, does it mean that um, they were grouped together when they were written in the clouds? What it means is that some editor grouped them together. <laughs> okay? I don't disagree with the editor necessarily, but it just happens that this, you know, the people who edited this version of the Bible put it together with verse 10. So we, we have here, the heart is devious above all else. It is perverse who can understand it. I, the Lord, test the mind and search the heart and give to all according to their ways, according to the fruit of their doings. Right. So you see that the heart is actually in this little, um, what do you call two, poetry people, what do you call two, two lines together? It's a couplet or, yeah, this little stanza. Um, the heart and the mind are connected to each other is the important thing to know. What does that mean? What do heart and mind mean? Well, in our popular understanding in the English language, we know that heart has to do with emotion and mind has to do with the thoughts. What about the stomach? What does the stomach have to do with? <laughs> Food, yes, thank you. Yeah, somebody understands basic biology, right? But like on our emotions, what is the stomach? It's like our, our gut, our instinct, right? In Hebrew and in Greek, it's different. I'm not going to go into it. It's just know that it's different. And so problem number one is that we think heart means one thing, head means one thing, and the, you know, the author of this passage might have thought that those things actually meant something totally different. We would have to deal with that, wouldn't we, if we were going to like, ruin someone's life by telling them that their emotions are not holy. We might want to do the little bit of work that's required before we get to that point. Right? 
But also let's look at what comes right and before, right before and right after this stanza. Right? So if we go before, let's just go up to, like, looks like the prior stanza is verse 7 and 8. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. And then right after it, verse 11, looks like it's its own little stanza there, and it says this, Like the partridge hatching what it did not lay, so are all who amass wealth unjustly. In midlife it will leave them, and at their end they will prove to be fools. This part's conveniently left off. Whenever the preachers are going off about how your heart is deceitful and can't be trusted, I, I recognize there's a little bit of irony in here, and then I just made an unusually long uh, plea for giving at Artisan Church right now. <laughs> but, but so often, pastors want to focus on the, I don't mean to be 100% cynical about this, but we tend to focus on the, <laughs> it's probably not okay, it's actually probably not good for me, but I appreciate your affirmation. Sometimes in religious settings, um, one way that high control is exerted is to emphasize things that, that tell people that their instincts and their heart or their gut can't be trusted. And, and then to ignore the parts that say, don't amass wealth. Um, do you see how if you read even just Jeremiah 7 through 11 instead of just Jeremiah 7, 9, you get a much more colorful and complicated palette of ideas. All right, that's all I wanted to say about that. I'm, I'm not preaching on Jeremiah 17 today, exactly. Um, <clears throat> today we are uh, continuing in our series called Recovering Prayer, which has been all about trying to expand our understanding of what prayer even is and what it can be. And I hope that this series has been helpful to those of us who have felt a difficulty in prayer especially if that difficulty has come after a season of doubt or questioning. Seasons like that can make it very hard to pray, can't they? Either because we're not even sure who we're praying to, if there is even a who to pray to, or because we're not sure that prayer makes a difference in the way that we used to be sure that it made a difference. Or because our whole theological framework has changed and, and we haven't really figured out where prayer goes in that structure anymore. But my encouragement to you this week is the same as it's been all throughout this series, which is that if you have been through one of those seasons and found that you cannot pray anymore, it's possible that what you really need is to expand your definition of what prayer even is. Just as one example that comes to mind that's not in my notes, my spiritual director, uh, Sister Sheila, has often said to me, sometimes just playing your guitar is prayer, Scott. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 it's not good enough. It's not spiritual enough. It's not religious enough. It's not Christian enough. It doesn't have any words. She's like, will you? She doesn't, she's very nice, but she, what she effectively says in a very kind way is like, chill out, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all through this series, I've been giving sermons that have the title format, Pray with Blank. 
So week one was pray with a script. Uh, week two was pray with your ears. Week three was pray with your community. And today we're going to talk about praying with your emotions. And here I hope that we can recover not just one thing, but two things. In other words, not just recover prayer like I've been saying all along, but also recover the freedom to feel every emotion that comes your way. Freedom from the religious judgment and spiritual self-deprecation that so often will accompany your feelingist feelings. My premise here, I'm going to lay it out right at the beginning. I usually like to be more mysterious. But my premise is that the full range of human emotion is legitimate based on a fuller reading of the Bible. In other words, getting beyond just that one verse that we talked about or the verses like it. The full range of human emotion is legitimate if you are willing to read more than just one verse of the Bible. And then that it can actually transition us into a new expanded version of what prayer can look like. So let's go through it. The obvious place to start, in my view, when we think about a biblical model of emotional expression is the book of Psalms. If you spent any time listening to me preach, uh, first of all, God bless you. You need a lot of help, probably. Um, (laughs) Unwinding the weirdness. But you know that I frequently remind you of uh, the Psalms of Lament. And I tell you that they're a significant portion of the book of Psalms. In fact, nearly one-third of the book of Psalms uh, could be classified as songs of lament. What is a song of lament? Well, it's a song that cries out in anguish to God. Um, These psalms contain not just expression of sadness, but also of many other emotions that we might classify as negative or unwanted emotions. Fear, shame, confusion, frustration. Sometimes the frustration is at the lack of answered prayers in the psalmist's life. All those things that you, many of you just told me, you were taught are not okay in church. They're right there in the book of Psalms. I'll add one more to this list of, this this incomplete list of emotions that can be found in the Psalms of Lament. Fury. How many of you skip over Psalm 137 when you get to it? If you don't know what it is, I don't necessarily encourage you to go read it right now. It's rather shocking. It's a psalm in which the psalmist, having been part of uh, God's people who'd been conquered by the uh, people who were not God's people, who had probably seen lots of violence done to their, their community, wanted to return that violence in kind, specifically by doing violence against little tiny children of the Babylonians. And I won't get more graphic than that, but the psalmist does get more graphic than that. Seems like this might be a good place to point out that um, while emotions themselves are morally neutral, the actions that might arise out of them are not necessarily morally neutral. And so what I would say about Psalm 137 is that feeling the way the psalmist felt in that moment, basically wanting to do to the Babylonians exactly what the Babylonians had done to the Israelites, 
That's a, that's a normal part of the human experience. Uh, and yet, you know, as people of faith, particularly as followers of Jesus, who modeled nonviolence and taught it in every aspect of his ministry, we, we need to have something that stands between our emotions that make us want to say something like that and, you know, the decision to make an action like that. You know, the other thing about the Psalms, we don't need to dwell entirely on the negative here, is that they contain all kinds of positive emotions as well. Deep joy, utter delight, celebration, peacefulness. All of this is found in the sacred scriptures that we use as a guide for our Christian life. It's all there. And by the way, there's a lot more poetry in the Bible than just the book of Psalms that you could look at with a similar result. As one example, our call to worship today was from the book of Lamentations. Do you, were you here the, for the call to worship? Um, no shame if you weren't. But what it said is, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Some of you know this verse by heart. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. Right? We're singing from the book of Lamentations. Talk about cherry-picking, by the way, from just little bits of Scripture. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Is like this much of a whole chapter of non-stop onslaught of actual lamentation. Somehow we managed to put only that part into the song that we sing in church camps or whatever. I often say that if we were starting from scratch, taking all of the sacred writings that were available to us and and deciding a new list of which books make it into the Bible, (laughs) we would have a much thinner Bible. None of this stuff would have made the cut today. You know it and I know it. We would have said that's unholy, that's not appropriate, that lacks decorum, it's not going to make it into the Bible. Well, too bad. The people who are smarter than us and wiser than us and more emotionally mature than us probably already made that decision. So the Psalms of Lament and the other poetic parts of the Bible that include that type of emotional content, that's our starting point. The next place to look is, of course, at Jesus. Why? Not just because the answer is always Jesus. How long has it been since I told my Jesus Sunday School joke? All right, we have time. (laughs) Little kid went to Sunday school. And the Sunday school teacher says, as, as she's gathering all of the kids together, okay, children, I'm thinking of something that's small and gray and fuzzy and has a bushy tail and it likes to eat acorns. What am I thinking of? And one of the kids goes, I know the answer is Jesus, but it kind of sounds like a squirrel. (laughs) Isn't that fun? (laughs) Yes, the answer is always Jesus, but we have a specific reason today why the answer is Jesus, and it's this. Um, Perhaps you, like I was, were raised with the idea that the importance of Jesus coming to earth as a human being is as follows. 
God came to earth as a human so that he could live a sinless life and then save us by taking all the sins of humankind on himself. Familiar? Fine. Yes. And, though, and the significance of the creator of the universe taking on human form, which is what our, you know, what the theology of the incarnation teaches us happened, is that the entirety of human existence is then legitimated by God's embodiment of it. And that would include the entirety of our emotional experience. St. Irenaeus, a very, very wonderful second century theologian, said the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And we come into our own fullness, I believe, as God's people, when we are fully alive to all that it means to be human, just as Jesus was. And as you heard before the sermon today, Jesus, like any other human being would have done, wept bitterly at learning of the death of his good friend, Lazarus. You may also know the story of how in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was to be arrested and tortured and crucified, Jesus was so distressed that he sweat drops of blood while begging God to let things go any other way than the way he could see they were about to go down. Or you might know the story of how Jesus became so angry at the people at the entrance to the temple who were cheating poor worshipers out of their money because they knew that they needed to exchange their Roman coins for temple coins, and they jacked up the exchange rate before the people could buy their sacrifices. Did you know that this is what this story is about? He became so angry at that religious financial exploitation that he suddenly turned into a combination of MacGyver and Indiana Jones, fashioning a whip out of tiny cords and using it to clear out the whole place, knocking over the money baskets and driving out all the sacrificial animals. So if for some reason all of the poetic books of the Bible with their broad emotional content aren't enough for you to feel justified in actually having emotions as a person of faith. Maybe the Son of God experiencing that full range of human emotion will help you get there somehow. But as you think about praying with your emotions... There's one more barrier to it that comes to mind for me. Most of you know by now that I'm in grad school pursuing a master's degree in mental health counseling. And this past school year, since September, uh, I've been working as an intern, as a counselor in the counseling center at a local college. And one of the things that I've noticed during that chance to sit with clients every single day Uh, well, not every day, but every day that I'm there, um, is that many people are quite unable to even name the emotions they are feeling. Sometimes I'll ask a client when something happened to them, how were you feeling when that happened? And often their response is to tell me what they were thinking about when that thing happened to them. It's like we have this little 
shield that we put up around our emotions. Even in, a, even in a counseling setting, when you're there with someone who's hopefully very trustworthy with your, the fullness of your emotional experience, I ask somebody, how did it feel when that happened? And they say, well, I think, hmm. And as I've processed through that and tried to figure out skillful ways to help people kind of come closer to their actual emotional experience, one of the things that I've realized is that I have a related problem which is that sometimes certain emotions arise for me and then immediately subconsciously I define them as unacceptable ones and I, I have this machine in my body that converts them into a more acceptable emotion. In my case, it's usually anger. Um, see, society has taught me that anger is often a sign of strength, right? So fear or anxiety which I, I see internally as a sign of weakness. I've got to have, I've got to like do some chemical reaction in the lab, the laboratory of my being that converts it into an expressible, nobody, you know, within reason, nobody thinks you're like too emotional if you're angry, right? And so I know that this is probably true for lots of you. One or the, one or the other or both of these things, that either you don't really have the capacity to name the, the emotions you're having at a given time before you can begin to pray through them. Or you have them, but you don't really allow yourself to have them before you change them into something else. I want to um, lead you in a prayer exercise that I, that I hope will address those challenges that we face with our emotions sometimes and will expand your view of what prayer can be. I'm trying to do both things with this little exercise. And so I want to show you um, down in our kids' wing, I took a picture of it this morning, we have a, a poster thing that hangs on the wall outside of it. If you've ever been down there, you might have seen this. Um, it says, how are you feeling? And then it has, uh, let's see, it's uh, 5 times 4, that's 22, right? <laughs> it has 20 different emotions on there with little faces. And I've listed them um, in an easier-to-read uh, format to the right of it. Um, for those who are not able to see right now or who might be listening later, uh, it says, how are you feeling? And then it lists angry, excited, shy, happy, dizzy, worried, jealous, confused, brave, annoyed, scared, disappointed, sad, embarrassed, silly, amused, frustrated, tired, proud, relieved. And then importantly, the little poster, I didn't put this in there, I probably should have. At the bottom of the poster, it says, all emotions are welcome here. That's true in our kids' wing, and it's true in our grown-up sanctuary. I want to leave that on the screen for a minute so that you can take note of which of those things you might be feeling um, most strongly right now. There's more than 20 options, right? There's other ones. If you have another one that comes to mind immediately, go for it. But I wonder which of those things you're feeling, each one of you, you don't have to tell me, obviously, but does one of them sort of glow for you, like when we do Lectio Divina? Does it jump off the page for you? Let's imagine that you having that feeling right now is not just a feeling you're having. That would be okay, and it is okay. But let's imagine that that is also a call to prayer right now. And so you have the emotion. Can I, can I go on to the, next, to the next slide now? Or can I have Aaron go on to the next slide? I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer that uses this format that's on the screen. God, right now I feel blank. 
I think that feeling comes from blank. This might be hard. You might not know where it comes from. That's okay. Often we don't know where they come from, but it can be useful to think about it for a minute. God, right now I feel blank. I think that feeling comes from blank. I sit here with you feeling this way. Can you imagine yourself sitting in the presence of God with the fullness of that feeling? If you've been told it's not okay to be near God when you feel that way, I'm telling you right now it is. God, help me notice, experience, and accept my emotions and their causes. And then lastly, I look to Jesus, the glory of God, a fully alive human being just like me. I'm going to give you two minutes to pray this prayer silently for yourself, and then we'll take communion. So I, um, <laughs> I hadn't thought about what it would be like for me to pray that prayer after inviting all of you to pray it. And it was really interesting for me. Um, I kind of encountered something I didn't expect or anticipate, which is that uh, the emotion that I was feeling was one that was, I think would more generally be considered one of the positive emotions, and yet I still felt like it wasn't an appropriate emotion to have right now, (laughs) which is a wrinkle. (laughs) It gets more complicated as you go a little deeper. I would love to hear, I wish I had time to like hear from people who'd be brave enough to share what their experience of that prayer was like, but maybe if you had one that was particularly meaningful to you, you'll come and tell me about it after our service today. I I would love to, and feel very honored if you did that. Whatever your experience was, whether it was good, bad, or indifferent, I hope that this has given you an opportunity to to rethink what it might be like to be a human being who has feelings and to integrate that with your, your spirituality and to connect it to prayer. And I hope that that expanded your view of what prayer can be. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.